All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to gather together as family. Father, in a unity that you've provided from eternity past on a day like this that is, truth be told, a misunderstood day by so many, but not by us, Father. We beg you, we plead with you that you reveal to us the true nature of Christmas time, this season that is upon us, the reason for it, Father. Thank you so much for your diligence with us, your faithfulness to us, and most of all, for your grace, your mercy, and love, a love that hung on a tree 2,000 years ago to make a morning celebration like this one a reality, Father. Thank you so much. May we rejoice in it always. Keep it in perspective. Father, we pray for those that are not with us this morning that earnestly desire to be here with us and just can't be. Your will be done, of course, but we ask and pray that they understand that our hearts are with them, that we go out with them, to them in spirit, and embrace them and hope that they're encouraged by us, by our love. Father, we pray for the destitute and the lost. We pray that they're humbled, that something happened this season to them, that their humility be cast low and that you use that as the lever to salvation, Father. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make a morning like this a reality for all of us. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this is the Christmas special. Um, it's interesting how uh, the Spirit's been going about leading up to this message. Um, last year, some of you might recall that the Christmas special message was about the man, Jesus, with an emphasis on his humanity. It's interesting how the Spirit controls this vessel before you, this servant, in order to accomplish his will. And just to be transparent, I never know exactly what he'll instruct me to teach on a morning like this. I mean, let's face it, there's an infinite amount of material to pull from when we contemplate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My, for lack of a better term, my insecurity on this holiday celebration is always, where do I even begin? It isn't until the labor of the message is thrust upon me that thoughts begin to congeal in my mind and that I begin to see the nature of the message clearly so, last year we focused on the man, and I guess that message was part one of two, because we're going to be continuing with that vein this morning. Now, I want you to try to put yourself in the spirit's shoes, try to, quote, see 
what it is that He's trying to impart to our souls and learn to appreciate the unified, perfect manner in which He accomplishes this. One of the first indicators as to this morning's message content was this past week's blog titled, My Struggle with Disdain. Nothing's ever done in a vacuum. We're all part of a curriculum that we all need to partake in. And so one of the first indicators of this message was the blog titled, My Struggle with Disdain. Firstly, I hope of those of you who chose to read it, I hope none of you misappropriated that blog as some cry out from your pastor. The reason the Spirit has me share like that is no different than the reason he recorded the following passages. Go to Psalm 73:21. Psalm 73:21. I do hope that you do not make the mistake of misappropriating that blog. There's a reason for it, and it is consistent with this morning's message even. Psalm 73:21. And mind you, like I said, I had no idea when I wrote that blog on Wednesday that this message would be what was presented this morning. No idea. But he did. Obviously, he did. Psalm 73:21. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. Up here on the board, this is going to be a running principle in our service this morning. The dichotomy of Psalm 73, 22, and 23. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You know? You know what I'm saying? I'm this unbridled animal. But I cannot, for the life of me, let you go. So there's this dichotomy. In order to see it all as truth, a la Ephesians 5, we must fully recognize and accept all influences in our lives. Our emotions may range from being embittered, senseless, to walking with the Lord, and everything in between. There's nothing wrong with emotions. So as long as we have a grip on them, righteously judging them, and we're going to get to Acts 21, 10-15, Matthew 26, 36-42. Again, the dichotomy that we see here that we just read in Psalm 73, 22, and 23 in particular, in order to see it all as truth, we must fully recognize and accept all influences in our lives. Our emotions may range from being embittered and senseless to walking with the Lord and everything in between. There's nothing wrong with emotions 
so long as we have a grip on them, righteously judging them. Look at verse 24. He continues, With your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory, whom I have in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see this dichotomy. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of my God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. And so we have this dichotomy. In one sense, we're a beast. In another sense, we just can't let him go. He's our refuge. And that has a lot to do, uh, even as Jeremy prayed earlier, with the season. And there's this dichotomy that plays out in our souls uh, in a season like this. Let's look at our next reference passage, though where Paul shares his heart with those he loved. Go to Acts 21, verse 10. Acts 21, verse 10. Sometimes we just, I don't know, for lack of a better term, just feel like losing control. <laughs> and we know that, you know, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, self-control is fruit of the Spirit, so we know that's not from God, but yet it's there, the tension. You know what I mean? The tension of it is there. The anger, the, the, the impetus behind it is an indignation that fires up, fires deep from within us. But we're not called to be like wild beasts. Acts 21, 10. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem, begging Paul. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. What are you doing? You're breaking my heart. So Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. Paul won. Love won. A broken heart still overcame. After these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. 
You see, for example, your pastor's heart isn't awry in its expression of pain for what it sees. Paul lamented the same way. Every true under-shepherd of God laments, Why are you breaking my heart? Why are you going against the will of God? It's breaking my heart. We might best describe this lament as twofold up here on the board. This is the best I can do for you, my friends. A shepherd's lament when sheep are stuck in the thicket, especially those who should know better. A shepherd's first response is indignation. Like, come on! Again? His second response is actually what is behind both the first and the second. That is love. After his anger subsides, his heart breaks. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Anger, love, broken heart. And the cycle goes on. These things coexist simultaneously. Do you know what I'm saying? Like anger. What are you doing again in the thicket? Why do you keep ignoring the good counsel of the Lord? I'll come get you. And as you're carrying the sheep out of the thicket, your heart's broken. Because the thing's bruised and battered and scarred and bleeding. You don't want that for the sheep anymore. And then a week later, it's the same sheep in the same thicket. And there you are again. And that same cycle (laughs) happens again. Sometimes I feel like saying, good, stay there. (laughs) You deserve it. And then I say, yeah, well, I deserved a lot more. And he died on a cross. So. So anyways, I tried to share some of this with you through the blog. And I invited all of you to relate to it personally. For it's not just we shepherds who go through this. It's identifiable with us. I think there's a reason the word says, imitate our faith, observe us, follow our lead. But that just means that you're part of this equation, that you are going to have the very same emotions. You're going to go to, you're going to, go to some Christmas dinner this, this uh, Tuesday. It's Tuesday, right? And there's going to be indignation. You're going to be angry at Uncle Jimmy. Because he, you know, it's him. But you're going to love him enough, maybe, to try to seek a little quiet time, maybe to give him the gospel. And then when he says, no, thank you, your heart's going to break. So, the Spirit invited you to relate to it personally. Now, here's where we have to take pause, conceding that we all, 
and the incredibly gifted Apostle Paul experienced such things on a regular basis. But now I ask you to ponder someone else. Jesus. The reason for this morning's celebration. What about Jesus' broken heart? Jesus never missed a beat. Never turned a blind eye. Never got drunk to mask the pain. Never took the easy way out in weakness. Never. And yet, Jesus saw it all. Choosing long before his incarnation, even, to endure the, the things he saw as our perfect great shepherd, the pain must have been like glass in his soul. Like having to drink down acid. It's truly unimaginable for any of us. And yet, through all the pain, out of eternal love for his sheep, his chosen ones, he pressed on. He is our shining example of perseverance. I hope this Christmas, this becomes something you are able to dwell upon. That you're able to think about the root cause for this season that we Americans have essentially decimated. I hope through all the white noise that is what we call, you know, the Christmas spirit. I hope through all of that you are able to focus on the one who persevered to secure eternal life for you. Even when you did not deserve it. You know, God knew that you'd break his heart many times over. And yet he willfully decided to become a man to die for the very things that broke his heart. Go to Ephesians 5, 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6. I guess you might say that God, in sending His Son, wanted you to know something about Himself. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Romans 5, 6. What did I say? I did? Well, why didn't you know better? Tis the season to be jolly. Yeah, I don't know what all the scowling faces is about. I don't even know why I said Ephesians 5, 6. I think I have Ephesians 5 on my brain. Romans 5, 6. For a while we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God 
demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Up here on the board. God demonstrates his own love. At our very worst, God loved us. May we possess the same love towards others this Christmas, even though these same people break our hearts. Who has more cause for indignation than the holy God of the universe? Who demonstrated a greater love than the God of the universe when he plucked you out? And saved you. And then who has a greater cause for a broken heart than Jesus Christ, the God-man? At our very worst, God loved us. May we possess the same love towards others this Christmas, even though these same people break our hearts. And that's that beast versus never letting him go. I kind of want to throttle Uncle Jimmy. Right? Because he really is standing against my Lord. I feel like saying, who the hell are you? But that's not even what Jesus did. So easy. Go to 1 John 4.19. May we possess this same love towards others this Christmas, even though these same people break our hearts. First John 4.19 We love. We love because He first loved us. Now, that love there is not just God. Obviously, there's a reciprocal love. We love God. But the greater principle is that we are now in the sphere of love. We can experience true love itself, even towards others, because that's Christ's heart. So we have that ability now, in other words, because He first loved us. The only reason we are even able to love is because of God's demonstration of love through Jesus Christ. You wouldn't have the ability otherwise. God didn't so love the world. You wouldn't even have the ability to love. It's the only reason. Christmas time ought to be a deep, solemn time of reflection upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in particular, the pain and suffering he had to endure in order to reveal his own personal love towards us. I guess this is where I stand starkly opposed to most people, you know, so-called Christians even nowadays. 
I don't consider Christmas's primary celebration as something purely happy and filled with tinsel and laughter. I just don't. My heart must first pass through the deep hollows of the depravity of man that was foremost on my Lord's heart from eternity past. My heart must be pressed low in order to appreciate all that he was born to do in love. My heart must grab hold of that love with every fiber of its being in order to celebrate him rightly. There are deep things we ought to be dwelling upon during Christmas time. For example, love is vapid to mankind in the absence of proof. God knows this, and so He sent His only begotten Son to demonstrate His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. I'll give you McDonald. His comment on 1 John 4.19 up here on the board. Such wonderful love draws our hearts out to Him in return. We say, You have bled and died for me. From now on, I will live for you. So, Christmas to we believers ought to be incredibly different. Incredibly different than whatever is celebrated in our society these days. We look at Jesus as someone who was born to die for us. We understand that love hung on a cross 2,000 years ago. Our sanctification depends upon our abiding in these truths. In light of these things, Christmas time becomes a platform of sorts for all of us. A platform. A time not only to explore for ourselves during our vacations, but a time to stand up for the light. You know, the light of men. That's what Christmas time should be to us. It's an opportunity. Go to first, or excuse me, John 1, 4. John 1, verse 4. Christmas is an opportunity for us. John 1, verse 4. John 1, 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Go to verse 8. Verse 8. John, talking about John, was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, 
and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The same man that penned that chapter is the same one who penned 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. Again, to echo the point on the board, such wonderful love draws our hearts out to him in return. We say, you have bled and died for me. From now, on, from now on, I will live for you. What does that mean? Spreading the light. Being a light yourself. Standing opposed to what Christmas is in this country. Standing out as a true light, which is the life that we just read about. The very light of men. So the very best thing we can do this Christmas is remember Jesus in the full context of his precious life. Remember Jesus in the full context of his precious life. The circus that we now call Christmas isn't representative of his heart at all. Nor should it be ours. What we know to be true is that he was born for a specific purpose to save us. To save us. This is the light that ought to shine forth from our souls in the presence of all. Go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. This is what Christmas should be to us. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, you know, like on Christmas Day, when your blood relatives are surrounding you, when you have the prime opportunity to show the light of men, Jesus Christ, who is life, who is grace, who is truth, who is the actual reason for Christmas itself, you have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding you. This is a perfect opportunity. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. Now consider our current series, The Deceitfulness of Sin. How these things dovetail. Lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. It entangles us because it's deceitful. It's insidious. And that's what we've been learning from the pulpit mainstream. Don't forget that. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. That's our focus. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against themselves, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's our example. Here's a little analogy for you on this solemnness of, of Christmas. What and who we should be in Christ Jesus as representatives. It's your first day on the job. You and a group of others have gathered around the work site preparing for the day's labor. And from a distance you can see your new boss with his head down, reading some documents, face strained, concentrated, serious. As he approaches the group, his countenance becomes even more focused. And you can tell that it's all business today. The guy next to you leans over and whispers to you, Welcome to your new job, my friend. At that moment, are you going to focus yourself? Or are you going to break out into the chicken dance? I'm serious. Are you going to focus? Are you going to do a dance? If you're lucky, you might make it to the second stanza of the chicken dance. Does anybody know what that is? Nobody knows? Christmas time? I thought you knew. Before you're swiftly escorted off the job site. And you know what? Rightfully so. The point of that little story is that there's a time and place for everything. There's a time and a place for everything. You know, Christmas is a time and a place. This Christmas season is a time and a place. And there's a time and a place for everything. Ecclesiastes 3.1, English Standard Version. By the way, I just told my leadership team, I just bought them all Bibles. This translation is probably a better translation for all of you than even the NASB the English Standard uh, Version. So if you're interested in your Bibles getting frayed and old, try it out. Anyways, Ecclesiastes 3.1, the English Standard Version. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. You know, we talk a lot about seasons you know, season's greetings. And it starts in like November, before, before Thanksgiving, right? It's Thanksgiving and Christmas. They're almost clumped together now. Season's greetings. Oh, yeah, you know. We talk a lot about seasons. And we stir up all this hoopla about giving and loving. And we celebrate by gathering together, exchanging long-awaited presents, hugs, and stories about the closing of yet another calendar year. We laugh and we smile and we fellowship with people who reject Christ altogether. And we join in the charade, a parade, if you would, of folly. And then, bam! The Spirit stops us in our tracks with a blog and then a message like this one. 
His timing impeccable. His counsel divine. And then our heart breaks the way Jesus and His apostles' hearts broke way back when. And we realize that we've been caught up in celebrating things that the world has deemed good. And we realize that our definitions for good have been perverted by evil. And then we repent, lament, confess to the Lord that we are weak and in need of some serious guidance. And thank be the Lord, we make our way back to 1 John 4.19. We love because He first loved us. To our anchor point this morning up here on the board, remember how we began, that dichotomy. What do you do with it? Where do you put the indignation? In order to see it all as truth, we must fully recognize and accept all influences in our lives. Our emotions may range from being embittered and senseless to walking with the Lord and everything in between. There's nothing wrong with emotions so long as we have a grip on them, righteously judging them. Let's finish up with this point. Go to Matthew 26, 36, the second reference. Matthew 26, 36, our reference in Acts was with Paul. Now we get to the man. The real reason for the season. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What do you see? You see the dichotomy right there at the surface. Jesus Christ would have despised sin altogether. What do you think he would say about Christmas time? What do you think he would say about your celebration this Christmas? That's between you and him. This stuff pressed him low. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Maybe that's as long as Christmas dinner is this year. I don't know. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Do you see the 
dichotomy at the surface there? I do. This is the same sentiment we noted in Acts 21 up here on the board. Acts 21, 14, And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. Just like Jesus' heart in Gethsemane, Paul's disciples were pressed down to the critical point of discernment. And we can all learn from this. There will be times in our lives where we are pressed so deeply and so low that the only thing left to say is, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And you know what? That's a glorious statement to make. Arguably the best you could ever make. Thy will be done. I'm going to hand this over to you, Lord. I was thinking about this. It is often indescribable how the Spirit of Christ leads us to this wonderful place. But He does. He allows, even fosters, certain heartfelt, righteous emotions to percolate up in us. He assures us that such emotions aren't wrong, but actually godly. Jesus wasn't an emotional drone. Far from it. He weeped. He grieved. He was pressed low. He was pressed so low he sweat blood. So such emotions, when righteous, they're not wrong, but they're actually godly. He uses them as levers. He gently reminds us by the grace of God that a broken heart, a broken heart on Christmas, when everyone else seems to be, you know, rejoicing in the spirit of Christmas, a broken heart in this way is not just okay, but it's actually warranted. It's actually warranted. It doesn't mean that we need to deny ourselves the opportunity to gather together with blood relatives and such, or even laugh or smile. What it means is that we must do so with proper perspective on the whole affair. Go to John 17, 16. John 17, verse 16. He's not saying, close up shop and become a hermit. He's saying, do not partake in the world. Why would he say that? John 17, 16. Why would he remind us of that truth on Christmas? John 17, 16. They are not of the world. Jesus is praying to the Father. He's talking about his own sheep. You, if you're a believer, you are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. As Jesus prayed, we are not of the world, we are merely in it. We are not of it, we are in it. Up here on the board, 1 John 2.15 reads, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If your Christmas 
isn't distinctly different than the Christmas of this world, part of you loves it. Part of you embraces it. And you know, it's like I've been teaching from the pulpit. Not that big of a deal, Pastor. Come on. It's not that big. Santa, Santa's elves, elves in a shelf. It's not that big of a deal. Come on. It happens once I'm with my family. We get drunk. We act stupid. We laugh. We play Parcheesi. We watch Three Stooges reruns. It's, it's, come on. It's one day, come on. You know, it's Christmas. We do the chicken dance and we all laugh and make fools of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're in love with the world. And you're in denial. If your Christmas isn't distinctly different than all of that, then you have to face the facts. And the word says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. The common theme of the last three years has been, what are you celebrating? How many times has that come up in all walks of our lives? What is it that you're celebrating? That's a good, fair question. What are you celebrating? What excites you about Christmas time? Rudolph movies? Decorating a Christmas tree? Presents? What excites you about Christmas? Seriously. Only you can answer that for yourself. It's all about perspective. It's all about attitude. It's all about love. So says this scripture on the board. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. What the world calls Christmas. Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, you know what? Despises the world. Despises it. He called the purveyors of it whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Matthew 23, 27, the Amplified Classic. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites. We've been learning an awful lot about hypocrites this past week. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites, for you are like tombs that have been whitewashed, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything impure. So here's what you have to ask yourself. And I'm really not trying to be a Debbie Downer. Everybody's <laughs> like, what kind of Christmas special is this? <laughs> right? All these beautiful flowers, and then you're up there? It's about getting our perspective right. That's all this is. You, all right, I'll, I'll make a deal with you, any one of you, right? If you can find somewhere in the Bible, by next Christmas, where Jesus is said to be smiling and laughing... I'll teach a different message. Go ahead. Why would that be? Why would everything recorded about our Lord and Savior be in the absence of those things? Things that you're going to do in spades over the next couple of things because you know, had a couple of eggnogs. No, for real. Why is that the case? Why are you laughing? Like, why is that the case? Because Jesus Christ had a very heavy heart. And you call yourself a 
Christian. Christian. So if you don't share somehow in his heavy heart, I'm not talking about some token of, it was such a good, it was such a good message, Pastor, and you're off and running. Not some token heavy heart where you some ridiculous emotionalism. No, I really need eggnog because I'm so convicted. Not that kind of token emotionalism that some of you are going to try to pull. Real. Psalms. Real reflection. Deep, deep love for people that are lost. These people that are celebrating this way. My friends, we shouldn't be joining them. We should be praying for them. Our hearts ought to be ripped in shreds. So, with that said, ask yourselves if all the Christmas lights and the decorations aren't meant to, you know, look beautiful on the outside. And yet, how many of those homes are filled with awfulness and even disregard for Jesus Christ, the original reason for this holiday, the one named after him for crying out loud? It is Christmas after all, right? One of the most recognizable sayings during Christmas time is, "'Tis the season to be jolly,' right? Is it, though? "'Tis the season to be jolly.'" Is it, though? Knowing what, seeing what we see, is it, though? Are we to mimic Santa Claus? Is that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that the, oh, it's not a big deal. He, you know, Santa's, you know, he teaches little children about giving. Really? So we're supposed to mimic Santa Claus? Are we supposed to follow suit with the world and teach our precious children a lie? Inculcate them into a distraction meant to rob Jesus Christ of his place in the hearts of children? And then do as the sin nature wants us to do and say, it's no big deal. Santa's, I mean, come on, Santa, everybody does it. It's not a big, come on, it's not that, yes, it is a big deal. It's a damn big deal. Think about our current series, The Deceitfulness of Sin. And then think about, some of you are going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about because you don't keep up with the lessons, but that's between you and the Lord. Think about the gateway sins we introduce our children to. Gateway sins, analogous to gateway drugs. Think about the gateway sins we introduce our children to. Santa? If that's not a gateway sin, I don't know what is. Let's do the one thing that matters most, eyes on Christ, and let's divert that. Let's teach our children that the birth, the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior is about Santa and getting presents. And, you know, you better watch out, that whole thing. Teaching them religion in the process. Let's do that. Let's lie to them. Let's teach them that it's okay to lie. 
and let's teach them that let's divert your eyes away from Christ towards some ridiculous abomination that man has conjured up and that, by the way, dominates Christmas. That's called a gateway sin. You do that to your children nowadays, you're a jackass. If you willingly teach Santa to your children, you're a moron and a jackass, and I have no problem saying it, to your face. It's despicable. When you know better, it's despicable. It's not a little sin. It's not a, it's okay. It's despicable. It's grotesque. And that's what we celebrate. We parents blow it big time during the holidays. I'm talking to you Christians, you believers, maybe even your grandparents. What are you doing? Why don't you stand up for Christ? Shouldn't you know better than even your kids? Why don't you tell the kids the truth? Hey, why don't you teach your kids the dang truth? It's not about Santa. Why don't you stand up for Christ for once in your stinking life? Why don't you do that thing? Nope, can't do that. Can't rock the boat. It's Christmas time. Tis the season to be... I know, I'm like the exact antithesis of Jolly right now, right? What you're seeing is, look, see, I'm on the cycle of indignation right now. Then it'll be love in a moment, and then I'll probably almost want to cry. And then I'll come back to indignation, then it'll be love, and then I'll want to cry again. Do you understand? That's the cycle. When I think about what goes on, I get so mad. Then I say, who am I? Who the hell am I? I'm not judging anybody, honest to goodness. I'm not judging anybody. Just saying, this is what Christmas should be. We should be thinking rightly about our Lord. Not joining in the fray. We blow it. Food for thought. All right, let's get back to our instigating principle before we close and sing a couple of hymns up here on the board. Some of you are like, Christmas special? This is Unbelievable. Does that guy ever relent? Nope. Warrior's hot, my friends. You know what? I'll stand behind Christ in the trench. Or you all choose to celebrate. I'm not saying you're going to, but you might. I'll be with Christ over there fighting the good fight. Amen is right. In order to see it all as truth, we must fully recognize and accept all influences in our lives. Our emotions may range from being embittered and senseless to walking with the Lord, and everything in between. Look, it's not like he's saying you can't have any emotions. There's nothing wrong with emotions, so as long as we have a grip on them, righteously judging them. It's okay to be indignant. Theologians call it righteous indignation. You can call it whatever you want. It's okay to be angry at what you see. It's okay to love those people that are still lost. You reach to them out of love. It's okay to sit sometimes with a broken heart. You're not a wimp. You're not a failure. You have a broken heart. Jesus Christ grieved. Paul wept. Why are you breaking my heart? These are not ungodly emotions. As long as you understand and place them correctly, they're actually very good emotions. It means you're on the right path. If you're stale, if you're like this, you look at it, it's messed up. Where's the eggnog? Something's wrong. 
If your heart doesn't break a little bit, something's wrong. You might have a bigger problem. Because there's a lot of Christians out there on Tuesday whose hearts won't break at all. You know what that means, possibly. Please don't hesitate in your soul for even one moment because Christ isn't, you know, what it used to be for you. Some of you are like, oh man, this is a bummer, man. I had someone tell me recently, Christmas has become just another day. I had Deacon Don Parents say the exact same thing to me this morning. Unsolicited, he came in, he's like, you know what, that blog was awesome. He goes, Christmas is just another day. Then he started getting all indignant. I'm like, Don, you got to get out of here. He's like, Rawr! I'm like, Don, you're wrecking my office. Rawr! I'm like, go have a cigar out there. Right? And I, I look outside, he's flipping the table over. I'm like, Don, you got to sit there, remember? He had like two cigars. I'm like, how's he doing? He's like, oh. and People like came through that door instead. They're like, don't go over there. He's like a wild beast. <laughs> I get it. I've been to it. Christmas isn't the same for me either. But what, what's, what laments over the loss of, uh, you know, like Rudolph and stuff? That's my flesh. Oh, but all the traditions. It's Christmas time. It's like, you know, we got to go see all the lights down at the Lost Salette, which is ungodly, because you go kneel up these stairs. Anyways, we're going to go look at all these lights, and we're going to do, you know, we're going to do this and all the tradition, right? And what's all the tradition from? Ungodliness. And so when you, when you think about having to give all that stuff up, you say, what, what's, what part of you is lamenting? The new creature or the flesh? Which one's going to miss ungodliness? It's the flesh, isn't it? So please don't hesitate in your soul for even one moment because Christmas, you know, isn't what it used to be for you. You know what I mean? Like when you were a kid and all those things get stirred up. The point is that, you ready? It isn't supposed to be. That's the whole point of messages like this. It isn't supposed to be. The sooner you figure that out, the better off you'll be. It isn't supposed to be. As we all continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, what happens as part of our sanctification is this. You ready? We are extracted from a big old lie. We are extracted from it. That's what's happening. That's the necessity of lessons like this. We're extracted from a big old lie. A lie that your flesh really likes a lot. Christmas in America isn't something that true disciples of Christ Jesus ought to be embracing. It doesn't mean we can't take advantage of the audiences that we might encounter during this time of year. It just means that the Spirit wants us to keep our wits about us. He wants us to never, ever let go of the true reason for any celebration at all. You know, I was thinking about that, that word celebration. There's a lot embedded into that word celebration. The root word being, you know, celebrate. And the cognate, a cognate celebrity. We ought to celebrate the only true celebrity in the universe, Jesus Christ. Who, by the way is never, and I alluded to this, is never recorded in Holy Scripture, to my knowledge, as laughing or smiling even. I don't, it's not, it's not recorded. 
and most definitely not celebrating what the world celebrates. So I suppose if we ought to celebrate him, that doesn't, I'm not suggesting he never laughed or smiled, by the way. I'm just saying there's a reason why it's not recorded in solemn things, weighty things are. That's all I'm saying. I suppose if we ought to celebrate him, we ought to do so in his good name, right? I mean, we ought to see things the way he saw them, right? So the warning is that when we do, or the aha, whatever you want to call it, part of our sanctification is when we do see things the way he sees them, we are exposed to the ugly truth. And when we see it all as truth, undoubtedly, our hearts will do as Jesus's and Paul's are recorded as doing. Break. When you see things the way Jesus sees things even today, if he was to be here with us and look around at our society and look at our celebrations, his heart would break. You know what, though? That's perfectly fine. Godly. Expected. How could a heart after our Lord's not break in this social climate? So, it is with a broken heart that we hobble along, fighting the urge to become cynical at every stop, rejoicing when others rejoice in the Lord, weeping on other occasions. It is with a broken heart that we, in some small way, empathize with the one who paid the ultimate price for all of us. And it is with this same broken heart in our weakened, vulnerable state that we love others. This is our saving grace, my friends, my dear sheep, whom I love so dearly. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. So there you have the real reason to celebrate Christmas this year and every year forevermore. Love. Love is the thing that shall keep our hearts from tearing in two. It will keep us fighting the good fight, for it provides us with purpose, and it softens our bouts with anger and disdain, allowing God to work the good in us that He has promised. Please don't confuse any portion of this beautiful message that now resides in your precious soul. Please don't dismiss it as too heavy or deny the pain that comes along with it. And please, please, please allow the Spirit to bring you both low and high simultaneously this Christmas. Allow Him to remind you of the solemnness of Christ's own heart and allow the love that He alone is able to empower in us to take hold of you, all of you, for this is what God wants for you. This is why he became a man. Let us never forget, up here on the board, God demonstrates his own love. At our very worst, God loved us. May we possess the same love toward others this Christmas, even though these same people break our hearts. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for taking this time with us. 
for revealing to us and reminding us what Christmas is all about and encouraging us along the way, Father, for we know that we stand opposed to the world and the God of this world is not happy with messages like this and he won't ever be happy when we reflect the love and the nature of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, on a day and a season like this. Father, thank you once again for bringing us together as family, for this ability to fellowship together, to rejoice with one another, with like-minded individuals, Father. What a blessing this has been. May we carry this as momentum over the next few days, Father, remembering that we always have a place to come where our everlasting family will be. Father, thank you so much for these snippets of your heart. Thank you so much for loving us, as always. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world this Christmas, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to we're going to say